This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. Hello, moms. This is The Real Mom Podcast, and this is episode 12. Today, I'm talking to Hallie Graves, and Hallie is a single foster mom of one little boy. She is a newbie. She is single, so we talk single momhood. We talk about different ways that people can support foster families. And then we talk about some of the different roles that she's served within. So if you've considered becoming a CASA or getting involved in other ways, this will be a good one for you. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. Today I'm talking to Hallie Graves. Hallie is a foster mom and her unique perspective sort of that she's going to be bringing us is that she's a single foster mom and I haven't spoken to any single moms yet so I'm excited to get her perspective and to hear about life um, in a way that we all share it but just from a little bit of a different perspective. So hi Hallie, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Yeah, thanks for taking... You're at work right now. I am in my clean, I've been cleaning bathrooms, cleaning the pantry, and you look like a million bucks. So I'm glad that we're the only ones who have video right now. (laughs) Uh, Well, yesterday I was, uh, I was someone that no one should have seen. So I'm I'm right there with you. Some days I'm also in my uh, workout gear all day. So, (laughs) all right. So tell me a little bit about your family. So right now I have I have a foster son who is five months old and he has been with me since birth and it is just the two of us at home. So that's kind of what we got going on. I'm working full time mostly and um, have had him, like I said, for the last five months. So pretty much all of 2018, he has been chilling with me and yeah, just been the two of us. Cool. And how long have you been a foster parent? He is my first placement. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, we have like the newbie perspective with you, too. Yeah. So, I've actually I've been in the foster world for about 15 years in different capacities, but this is my first foster placement. So, I, I was placed, uh, he was placed with me two days after I got licensed. So, I've just finished my license at the end of 2017 and then, yeah, started out with him. Okay, well, I want to talk later about all the other roles that you've sort of been involved in, but, and I hate to sort of boil you down to one thing, but you are the first single foster mom I've had, and I feel like that's um, the thing that's going to be most helpful for us to hear from you about. So tell me, I mean, you said 15 years that you've been involved, so clearly you had a heart for these kids and knew what you were getting into. (laughs) Part of what I'm wondering is, did did anyone discourage you? Were there people who, who were telling you to put the brakes on? Yes. Yes, there were. I think there are a lot of people that, um, especially when I started or when they first heard about it from me were, had a lot of questions and concerns for me and also for kids, honestly, um, to be in my care. So I, I, thought I would be a foster parent for a long time. I first encountered foster kids when I was in high school and um, just kind of knew from then that foster and possibly adoption would be part of my story, um, but kind of always envisioned I would do it married with some biological kids, kind of, you know, practice the parenting on those <laughs> right. um, and then and then dive in with some foster kids. Um, 
but I, I'm 32 now. When I turned 30, it was kind of the first time I think someone randomly said to me, you know, you don't have to be married. It's not, you know, a requirement uh, for licensing that you're married. And I thought, well, that's, that's dumb. You know, why would you voluntarily go into this by yourself? It's already hard enough to do with a partner. And, um, but just the more I started kind of thinking about it, praying about it, talking to people about it, it sort of kind of made sense eventually. Um, but there are a lot of people that, um, you know, when you kind of combine the things of being a working parent, being a single parent and being a foster parent, it's a lot of hard things at once. And so I think a lot of people have concerns about <laughs> how it actually will work and whether it's a healthy thing for me or for the kids or what that looks like. So I've definitely encountered a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, comments and feedback and questions. And I also have a lot of people that just said, go for it, you know, <laughs> jump in. So kind of gotten all, all manner of reactions. Okay. So tell me what has been the hardest? I mean, five months in, like you said, juggling, I honestly, I was literally just thinking this because I just spent three hours cleaning out my pantry. <laughs> and I was thinking if I was a working mom, when would I do this? I guess I would do it in that, you know, few hours I have at night with like, how do you juggle all of that as a working mom? And like you said, as you're juggling sort of three difficult roles <laughs> at once, the single, the foster yeah. and the working. Yeah. So how right. have you done it? And um, what has been the hardest? I will say first, I have a lot of help. So I, I was really intentional about building kind of my community that would be supportive of me in this specific role. Um, so I'm not doing this by myself. I mean, I, I, there are a lot of people I can sort of drop my foster son off with for two hours uh, to do this or that. Um, and um, also, I, I would say I have to let a lot of stuff slide. I, I am the anti-perfectionist personality. So I'm just, uh, I'm very much, I don't know if you're a Myers-Briggs or Enneagram person, but I'm a super ENFP and seven. So I just kind of change my mind all the time. I want to do a million things. Um, so I'm, I'm very, I'm the same. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I just things are messy a lot, honestly. Um, I, you know, as, as you know, with babies, as soon as you kind of figure out, okay, here's one way that we can do things, they're onto something else. Um, so, you know, I would say sometimes we have a rhythm about, okay, at night I do this, but there's also kind of the bare minimum that I know I have to get done for the next day. And that's what happens. You know, I know I need to get all the bottles clean and ready for him to go to daycare the next day. I know that I need to have something clean for me to wear, something clean for him to wear. <laughs> um, so honestly, during the week, I mean, from like Monday morning to Friday, you know, evening, it's sort of just like going from one thing to the next thing and just kind of keeping it, I say barely there, but just in terms of, you know, the tidiness of my apartment and the, you know, extra sort of things. And then on the weekend, I try to build in space for us to just like rest and recuperate and I do a ton of laundry and um so that's that's kind of how I get those things done um honestly I'm I'm still not getting a lot of the sort of fringe things done you know like if like I need cleaning to, out your pantry <laughs> right yeah yeah or you know if I need to get birthday gifts or everyone I know is having a baby this year so you know they're probably all going to get the same gift from Amazon honestly <laughs> um because it's just you know a lot of things that kind of have uh sort of fallen to the back burner as I'm mostly just trying to keep 
him alive and happy and loved and me, you know, like fed on occasion. And (laughs) that's kind of our, our standard of living right now. So, um, but I do have a lot of help. Some that is just people, you know, helping us because they love me and they love him. They want to help. And then other people that I have hired to help, um, which has been kind of my setup as well. It sounds like we have a similar sort of approach as far as, you know, like I'm managing more kids and I'm home, but I work at home too. I I was speaking this weekend um, to foster parents about self-care. And I was saying that I can manage a lot. I can juggle a lot of plates. But one of the reasons that I can juggle a lot of plates is because I know that I'm going to drop a few and they're going to break. And like, I'm okay with that. And so you can do a lot of things and juggle if you're like, yeah, nothing's going to be perfect though. Everything's going to be sort of 90% and if that, <laughs> yeah, going to be grateful and, you know, rely on God. It'll keep me humble. And so I think we function similarly. It's just that um, we have different hardships. That, <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of the, um, the things that you cannot do with a baby period that are the hardest for me, because I'm really, really thankful. Uh, My little guy is just delightful. Um, He has certain things that are hard about him. He doesn't sleep, which we're really working on. Uh, That's been by far the hardest about parenting him. But he, you know, since he was tiny has been out and about with me because we don't have any other options. So he goes everywhere. He's very social. He'll let anyone hold him, you know, Um, but there are things like, I can't, you know, really go get my haircut or my teeth cleaned holding a baby, you know? So, um, I teach a Bible study on Tuesday nights to a big group. I can't really speak to a big group holding a baby, you know? Um, so there are just things that I think I just have to schedule around, you know, someone has to be available for me at this time. And, um, so I think that those things are kind of the hardest to do. The other things, either he comes with me and we just do it a little bit slower or a little bit differently, you know, um, or they just, we just wait three weeks to do it so that I can find someone to watch him or, you know, come with me or whatever that looks like. So mm. that's kind of been how we've been navigating that for now. All right. So tell me how people can support single foster parents. Like what would be the most helpful to you? What have people done that have served you or said that have served you or the opposite? So I think the biggest thing, and I've heard this across the board from a lot of single foster parents is childcare, you know, uh, becoming babysitter certified and also offering kind of regular support of some kind. Um, You know, if they want to say every Thursday, I do this, you know, my parents thankfully are in town. So they watch my foster son every Tuesday night when I teach Bible study. And that's just kind of a standing thing. Um, But I think there's a lot of isolation with single foster parents, especially because, you know, I used to be able to be out and about until 830 or nine, I can't do that anymore, because bedtime. And so I can be, you know, seven nights a week at home by myself by seven. Um, And so I think offering, you know, hey, can I come bring you a meal every Friday night, or just even come sit with you and watch TV or whatever, because there's just a lot of isolation and a lot of things like that. And then I would also say, I find it really helpful when people tell me they want to help um, and they are really specific about it. Like I had someone say, you know, this Friday, I want to do something for you. I can either run to the grocery store for you. I can spend some time praying for you. I can come by and watch your 
son, you know, kind of give you a menu of things, but say, I'm going to do something for you during this window I have. And that way it's not just kind of a vague, like, let me know if I can help. Yeah. Which, oh, that's the least. Know. Let me know what I can do is like, okay, I'm never going to call you just so you know. <laughs> exactly. And, and I know, I know it comes from a good place, but right, right, it right. taught me a lot about, you know, how to help people or be actually helpful is to say, you know, this is my capacity to help you, or I'd like to contribute financially, or I'd like to contribute my time and, and then say, I'm serious about it. What does that look like for you? You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's been, that's been really the most helpful. Another thing that's been really helpful is because my foster son doesn't sleep. One of my friends started a fund for me to get babysitting help overnight. And so um, I have had a babysitter and some of it I paid for and some of it kind of friends have paid for, um, come once a week, pretty much since he was a few weeks old and the babysitter stays in his room with him overnight and feeds him cause he's eating every hour and a half overnight still. What? Yeah. So we are in the night weaning process, but he has just things he was born with that make him very hungry all the time. And so uh, yeah, so oh, I, I'm, my. I'm tired, but, uh, but that has been just, I, I don't know that I would be even standing up right, right now, uh, especially doing it by myself every night. So, um, th- just things like that. I mean, I think all of that has meant so much. Um, I also had my friends threw me a baby shower before, or mm-hmm. a, a foster shower before I even knew what age a placement would be. Um, and they got me, you know, some baby stuff cause I thought I might have an infant placement, but they also got me, you know, a membership to the children's museum and gift cards and just things that, and honestly, it was just kind of the showing of support too. That was the biggest thing for me. Um, just kind of made me feel like a quote unquote real mom, you right, know, right. To, um, and so, yeah, that's all of that has been, has been extremely helpful, but I would say it's, it's really easy to tell the people who are actually in it to help and the people who kind of say like, we're over here if you need anything. And, you know, just not quite as helpful when you're kind of in the thick of it. And you don't even always know what you need or who to ask or who's willing to really go to Target, you know, at 11pm and who's not. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was I read, I think it was about helping someone who has cancer. I read this article years ago. And it was basically exactly what you just said outline, here's what I'm willing to do. Hey, nights are really good to me for me. And I love running to the store, please. Next time you need something promise that you'll, and then actually calling, Hey, do you need anything? I'm going to the store. Like that you're offering really specific things because it's, it's very rare that anyone really, but foster parents, you know, there's this, we took this on, you chose this, this is, and with some people, even you're getting paid to do this. There can just be this, this whole thing around it where you just feel like, well, I took this on, I can't put this on other people. So when they communicate just how far they're willing to go for you, there just creates an openness for asking. So I think that's really helpful. And honestly, it's helpful to hear for you as a single foster parent, but just in general, that that's really the way that we can bring help and care to people. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. And just being, yeah, really specific and, and uh, kind of following up with people if they haven't, you know, had the capacity to even tell you how to help them saying like, hey, I'm back this week. You know, I'd love to do something for you. It's just right. really helpful. Right. So is is the plan to stick with one child at a time? 
So the original plan was to have two to be, I'm, I'm licensed for two in my current space um, as long as they're young. Um, But I'm trying to get the sleep thing sort of under. Yeah, seriously. Before we add on. And, and um, so there's also sort of the uh, possibility of a sibling at some point um, for my first, my current uh, little guy. So um, I would like to have two, I think at some point, especially because, I've kind of designed my life and set up right now around parenting babies and, and foster care in general. Like I built a lot of flexibility in over a number of years. And so I think that would, that is ultimately where I want to head, but I'm trying to kind of get him in a good place to where we can realistically do that. That makes sense. That is, that is rough. Every hour and a half is about as rough as you get. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to, trying to feed him a lot more during the day so that hopefully he can know he will survive the night, but it's just a slow process. I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. You can find it at www.realmompodcast.com. There, I connect you to my guests. I connect you to all the resources and books and recipes and shows and everything that we discuss. That will be the best place for you to get the Real Mom Podcast experience. Visit there, www.realmompodcast.com. All right, so let's talk about the different roles that you've been involved in in foster care. Are these um, ways that you've served? Is it work? How have you been involved? Yeah, so, um, well, so at the beginning, when I was in high school, I started uh, volunteering once a month in the local children's shelter. So I'm in Austin. That was the Austin Children's Shelter. And at the time, it was an emergency shelter. So we would go throw birthday parties there. And that's where I first met kids in foster care. Um, And then kind of over time, I was a CASA volunteer and did that for a couple of years where I, you know, helped represent kids in court and uh, try to learn everything about their case and tell the judge sort of what was going on, make recommendations. Um, how and then- how um, sort of effective did you feel as a CASA? Because I know a lot of people, as they're considering getting involved in foster care, that's one thing many people consider. What would be your experience as a CASA? Did you feel like you made a difference? Did you feel like it was an important role? And how, how meaningful was your connection with the kids that you served? Because I know it's different uh, than mentoring. Yes, it is. Yeah. And so I had, I had young kids um, in both of my cases that I did. Um, so I didn't, you know, it wasn't that I had school age kids or, or really even fully verbal kids that I was building bonds with, but I was in cases where there were lots of different people involved, you know, lots of different family members and foster parents. And um, I thought, well, first of all, I thought the judge took my recommendations very seriously. And, oh, cool. um, and I, I know that's not the case every time. I think it, a lot of it depends on the judge. Um, I am a trial attorney in my day job, so I'm very used to kind of different judges being different. <laughs> um, but I think I've also seen CASA be able to really sway judges, um, especially if they have an opinion that differs from CPS or from the department. Um, and so I think most judges see it or at least the ones I've worked with see it as a good source of information, especially if the, if the CASA is the person who's seen the parties the most and understands the dynamics and understands what the kids needs are and that sort of thing. Um, so I found that to be helpful if you're really going to, you know, 
take it seriously. Um, and the other thing I would say is I think I learned that it is important, even though you have your own sort of ideas of how a case should end up, I think sometimes because CASA only has, you know, each CASA volunteer has one case at a time usually, you can be really zealous about some particular outcome that they just get fixated on that's not what anyone else in the case is talking about. Okay. And, um, and they, you know, most CASAs do not have as much experience in child welfare as CPS or foster parents or this and that, you know. Um, so I think there's, there is some kind of runaway train aspect to it that I've seen happen as well. Um, so, you know, I think, I think it is helpful to have another voice usually. And I've, but I've seen judges take it very seriously, whether that's a good thing or, or not always a good thing in okay. a given case. That's cool to hear. Okay. So after serving as a CASA, so were you, were you an attorney before you were a CASA? Um, I was a CASA before and then after I became an attorney. Okay. Yeah. And then after CASA, I, no, before CASA, I, um, and during, no, I guess before and then after I was a CASA, I was an attorney ad litem for kids in CPS cases. So when I was in law school, we had a clinic that let students represent uh, kids in CPS cases. It was a child welfare clinic. And so I got to do a couple cases through that where I represented kids in their cases with supervision, but I was the you know attorney of record for the kids in those cases and kind of got my first exposure to the court side of it. Um, and yeah, so as really, like in New Jersey, we call that a law guardian. Okay. What, what would you call that in Texas? It's an attorney ad litem. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's I, the attorney for the kids. Yeah. Right. As a foster parent, I see that role as, I feel like often you're our, or that role is our greatest ally. It really feel like your hands are being tied by the division and you don't know what the next step is. And I, I find them, I've had law guardians that I feel like have saved some of my kids' lives. They, I love that position. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think I've, I've seen, you know, all different, you know, kinds of, of attorneys. And I think, um, in Texas, the same attorneys represent kids and parents because they're all on a rotating roster. And one concern that I've had just in different cases over time is that sometimes, because just statistically speaking, they represent parents more often than kids because there are twice as many parents as kids usually. Um, there is just sometimes this confusion. They might be representing parents in half their cases and kids mm. in half their cases. Um, and I, it totally depends on where you are. I'm in a super progressive County because I'm in the middle in Austin in, you know, a little tiny spot <laughs> in Texas. Um, so there's a lot of like super pro, uh, parent, no matter what kind of mentality. And I think attorneys can be on that when even they're representing the child, you know? Hmm. Um, and then there also are people who are just come to it totally independently every time, you know? So it kind of just depends. But um, yeah, I've, I've seen, I've had attorneys who have seen the child, you know, once every six months, even though they're supposed to monthly here. And I've had ones who have been really on top of it and could tell you everything about the child at any time. So it <laughs> just kind of depends here at least. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've had the same experience. It's just in a few different cases, I've felt like the law guardian was such a huge ally for mm-hmm. us. I mean, for my child, but just really the one voice that was disconnected from everything else that was going on. 
Um, yeah. and it was just such a gift to the child. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I feel like you, you really just need somebody to be that voice of advocacy and, and reason and explaining here's what's really going on. And here's the likely outcome of that for this trial, you know, and it doesn't always come out in court. I feel like. Mm. All right. So these things didn't scare you away from becoming a foster parent. No. <laughs> I mean, cause no. you're aware of sort of how broken the system is. Um, And I know that that can be hard to see that, you know, I talk to workers all the time who say I could never be a foster parent because I know this side of it too well. So why do you think it had the the opposite effect on you? I think, well, I think one thing is most people I've encountered in the system have been trying to do the right thing. Not everybody, but many people have, you know, social workers and CASA and attorneys and judges and Um, and, you know, to me, I think there were two options, either say like, this is hard and it's messed up and it's so broken. And so I'm just not going to participate or say it's messed up and it's broken. And maybe I can be like a part of moving it like an inch closer to being, you know, not quite as broken or making that for one child, or even just being a safe place, even if they're returning to a a broken situation or, you know, uh, however that kind of winds up. And I I think also just personality wise, I am hard to defeat. (laughs) I'm I'm just, you know, I will keep bouncing back up even if I probably shouldn't. So I think that I, you know, I I knew it was going to be tough, but I also think I don't have expectations. Everything will magically resolve, you know? So, um, I kind of look at it, at least with my current case, as every day that that he's able to kind of feel loved and build attachment and be physically healthy is going to serve him well, no matter what happens, you know, and I certainly have opinions about what that should be. But, uh, you know, I think it's not, it's not a waste of time, even if it had wound up being, you know, three weeks, and then he was off to something that makes my heart stop, you know. Um, so I, I think that's, that's part of it. And um, I'm not one to shy away from a challenge. If you say this is broken, I'm, I'm I still want to jump in and try to <laughs> try to help if I can. But it definitely is a mess. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love I love that perspective. First of all, I just love. Okay, it's broken. I think, especially as Christians, the fact that something's broken is the motivation to get involved. You know, yeah. Jesus always went towards broken people and towards people who were needy. So I think that that should be part of the motivation, not, okay, this is broken. So let's sort of stand back and watch it be broken. (laughs) Right. But also just really holding on to, and I feel like maybe what all of that experience gave you is what sometimes takes, took me and what I've seen it take years for other foster parents to learn, which is anything I give this child is worth it. So maybe Mm -hmm. that was almost like experience for your heart to be able to see like whatever I give this child, like you said, every day, every touch, every time I answer a cry is going to change the way his brain is formed and change the way he trusts people. And so I, I think that you took something that could have scared you away and learned from it. And you're probably better equipped for caring for your son and for really seeing it all more clearly because of that. Yeah. And, and I think, I think knowing too, that there's not really, if I do this one right thing in this situation, then I can 
manipulate the outcome this way. I mean, it's just the whole situation is so far from something that I can control, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and also just, you know, from a faith perspective, I've never been in a situation that I had less control than foster care ever in my life. You know, I exactly like, and so I, you know, I feel like I have more control over magically being married tomorrow, not dating (laughs) anyone now than, than I do over foster care, you know? So it's, it's almost sort of like, yeah, like I said, coming into it saying I, the only thing I control is how I behave here and what I give to him. And that's, that's it. I mean, I have, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but I have, I have um, <laughs> sort of minimal expectations for the actual outcome, honestly. So mm. we'll see. Hopefully I will be pleasantly surprised, but. Mm. But yeah, absolutely. When we're out of control, then it forces us to trust God who is in control. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to say that I don't understand really a lot of what's happening here, but I know God loves him more than I do even. And, you know, that like there's something redeeming that's happening in this situation, even when it looks like a total train wreck, you know? Absolutely. That's so good. All right. Well, that's a really good little note to switch gears on. So let's just talk about you as a person. I want to know what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. Okay. So what are you doing? doing? Um, So another thing I do outside of my day job is that I'm the um, outreach director for a ministry in Austin called Polished Austin. And it's kind of like young life is how I describe it, but for young professional women. So it's a, cool. it's a group that gets together. Yeah. It's really fun um, to talk about work and faith. And um, so I lead a Bible study through them and I do a lot of speaking and interviewing people there. Um, and then I'm also have started speaking and writing a lot more in different forums about singleness, foster care, being a working woman of faith, you know, all the different things. And I'm just loving that. So any, any chance I get to kind of share with people or encourage them to do things that are maybe like scary or hard or feel weird. I am, I am all there for. (laughs) That's awesome. And that's where the internet, I feel like is such a gift to moms because 90% of the way I serve is like on my laptop in my bedroom while my kids are napping or it really opens, you know, you're talking about a single mom, you're stuck at home every night at seven now. And yet you're able to affect the world really through your voice in speaking on these things. So it's such a gift. Yeah. And you know, we just finished up um, national foster care month and um, you know, through that process, I had just talked to so many prospective foster parents. A lot of them are single people and just, have been able to talk about all the different aspects of what makes this harder and easier. And I, I actually think there are some things about being single that make it even easier mm. that people don't think about a lot. But one for me is that I realize my attention is not divided at all. So, you know, I don't have to think about, okay, did I, you know, spend any time with my husband today? Did I spend time with my other children? And, right. and that's just the unique place I'm in right now. Um, and there are some children, you know, I used to mentor girls in uh, teenage girls in foster care, and a lot of them couldn't be in a home with a with an adult man. And so, you know, just things like that, we were thinking, did God actually design my life for this mm-hmm. moment so that I could do this? You know, I don't know, but it's possible. And I think it, it'd be a shame to just sort of bemoan my situation and not fully jump in with what, wherever I am, you know? Um so, so I, good. I mean, that is really good. <laughs> That's a great point. All right. So what are you eating? 
What am I eating? Um, honestly, a lot of random, random stuff right now. I'm kind of like, like in half the of whatever was left over from yesterday as you feed a bottle and do the dishes. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. So a lot of Chick-fil-A, I will say, because okay. um, we are not at the stage yet where I can, you know, like have half of whatever he's eating. Um, but yes, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of random drive throughs where I think like, okay, it's, it's 4 p.m. I have not eaten yet. I should probably have some sort of combo lunch, dinner, breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of random stuff. We did have people bringing us food for about the first like two months, which was fantastic. Um, and now it's just kind of, you know, really on the go with wherever we are, uh, and however that kind of works out. I ate a lot of like, uh, chips and salsa since we're in Texas and, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Chick-fil-A that that's, you're a real mom. If you're eating Chick-fil-A for dinner, that's like as that's, mom as you get. So that's, that's what people tell me. So, you know, I, I had that nailed way before I was a mom too. <laughs> that's great. All right. What are you reading? Are you a big reader or? I'm a really big reader. I, you know, as I know is common, I have had a, a difficult time really getting into lots yeah. of long books, but um, I'm in a book club that we kind of read some lighter stuff, but a lot of social justice type books. And we're all just kind of nerds about all of that. So um, we'll share. We a lot of, I'm trying to think what we've read recently. Um, we, we, we did a book, uh, The New Jim Crow, last year, which I really liked a lot. I mean, cool. it's a hard book, but it yeah, was yeah. so good. Um, and we just read The Time in Between, which is a fiction book, uh, but just super, super good. And what else? I mean, I have a I have a entire table full of my to-be-read books. It's usually oh, yeah. like a combination of the nonfiction, some around foster care, faith, work, all kinds of things, and then a whole bunch of random fiction <laughs> that I'm waiting to get to. So yeah, I feel yeah. you there. And I even like, if I go away for the weekend, I bring like seven different books because it's like, yep. well, this is my foster care book and this is my Christian living book. And this is my deep theology book. And this, <laughs> you just need yep. to be prepared in all cases. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what mood I'm going to be in, you know, is it going to be too heavy for me at the moment? Am I going to want to be sitting at the beach reading about like brain trauma or, <laughs> right. you know, some sort of like light memoir. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's hard to fit in the reading the same way. I know a friend of mine, I just shared this, um, with someone the other day, a friend of mine was saying when she became a mom, she sort of lost her reading time and wasn't keeping up with it anymore. And so she committed to reading just 15 minutes every night before bed. And she read 25 books in a year. Hey, And I was like, that is so encouraging because I always think, you know, I used to read hours and hours a day. And so I almost feel like, what's the point? Like, I'm never going to finish this. But 25 books in a year, that's like, that's substantial. That's, that's very legit. That's very legit. That's a good, yeah. And I'm totally the all or nothing person too. You know, I'm the person that says I'm either going to read my seven books this month, or I just, I won't be a reader. Fine. (laughs) You know, (laughs) exactly. I'm the same way. No, trying to moderate it says no balance. You have no balance in life ever. <laughs> All right, what are you watching? Um, so I usually have, you know, a couple of of random series that I can just pop on when I'm, you know, feeding or just doing random things. Um, so I just watched the new Kimmy Schmidt episodes that uh I think they 
came out like a day or a few days ago. Um, love those. I just love kind of like the short, lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's funny. Thing. And cute. Um, yeah, she's so adorable. I, I really relate to her in all of the sort of naive kind of ways. <laughs> um, and I, let's see, what else am I, I always have on, you know, some sort of like weird medical drama. Like I love house, which is old, but I just, I, I love things like that. It was, you know, med school was sort of my other uh, thought, if, if not law school. And um, so I love that. And yeah, that's pretty much what I've been been watching these days. I like Kimmy Schmidt. I, I've never yeah. been into medical stuff. I don't, I'm, well, first of all, I do know partially why. It's because I pass out at the sight of blood. And so anything medical okay. freaks me out a little bit, but that's just never been, it's never been my thing as much. All right. And what are you listening to? I listen to a lot of podcasts. So I kind of have like a, you know, running list of all the new stuff. I really like all the personality things these days. So I listen to the typology podcast, which is about the Enneagram. It's really good. And one thing I love about it is that kind of done right. The Enneagram is about sort of how God made you and then Mm. how sort of sin has broken that down. And so um, to me, it's not, you know, I, I enjoy any good BuzzFeed article on like which Harry Potter character are you or whatever, but <laughs> to me, the, the Enneagram and the way that it's talked about now is a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of connected to how I, you know, how you're made and how God sort of intended you to function in a healthy way. Um, and then what that looks like when you deteriorate, you know, and it just, it has so many light bulb m- moments for me where I'm thinking like, this makes so much sense that you know, when I'm threatened, I would go to this place or when I'm thriving, I do really well in this place. So I love that. Um, I listen, um, what else do I listen to? I love the podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to that. I've never even heard of that. Oh my gosh. It's hilarious. It is so great. Um, and the podcast and, um, Jamie Ivy is one of my friends. I listen to happy hours, Jamie Ivy. Did you say she's one of your friends? Yes. Like legit yeah. friends? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I listen to her too. She She's I don't listen awesome. to many podcasts either. I am yeah. not a podcast person because it it makes me angry when my kids interrupt me. <laughs> like music, <laughs> I feel like can be background, but podcasts not quite the same. But I yeah. like Jamie Ivy. Do you Yeah, she's great. Do you listen to podcasts on regular speed or do you speed them up? Oh, is because that what you do? I get, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> It's, how it's how like disorienting it. is it? It's not, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, because I'm a fast talker. I listen fast, but yeah. I, um, I listen at 1.25 speed or okay. 1.5, depending on how slow <laughs> they speak. Um, and that has helped me get through it when, when, you know, the baby's not crying and he's asleep or something, I'll listen to a 20 minute episode in 10 minutes or 12 minutes. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. New advice to the listeners. So that you can get through my podcasts, which are always too long, always longer than I intend them to be. Just speed it up as if I don't talk fast enough, but. Right. Um, I have one more podcast recommendation. I was just looking at my list and it's called the best of both worlds. And it's two working moms who talk about, and they have guests on about kind of how they logistically make it work to be working moms. Cool. Um, And I found it super helpful because they have moms in super flexible industries and really, you know, uh, shift working like medical field and all kinds of things. And everyone has a totally different approach to it, but it seems like they're all 
you know, surviving and thriving and their kids are doing well. And so it's, it's really encouraging just to kind of hear how they do different things. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'm glad you shared that, especially with what we've been talking about with just momhood and all the other roles that we have. So yeah. All right. So tell me where people can find you. I know you're on Instagram. I am. So I'm H Graves. 03 on Instagram. And then I have a website, which is pallygraves.com. And yeah, that's, that's where I'm hanging out. I sometimes do the tweeting as well. Uh, I think I'm Hallie E. Graves on Twitter, but that's really mostly Instagram is my, my favorite. Cool. All right. Well, I'll connect everyone to you there. Hallie, I'm so glad we talked. Thanks so much for just sharing your perspective. I, I love just hearing how Um, God sort of does the same thing in all of us in just different ways in our different walks Um, but thanks so much for sharing from your perspective I've actually had some requests for single moms actually I most recently had a request for single moms and your name was was requested someone emailed me and said can you have Hallie Graves on so so whoever that is they'll be happy but thanks so much (laughs) for taking the time with me today this is great yeah Thanks so much. And I really appreciate your podcast and all the work you do to help support foster families. Oh, thanks, Hallie. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening.